I'm Dr. Michael Latola. And I'm Megan Strong. In today's case of the week, Nike's motto is just do it, and this dentist's motto is do your best, even though I didn't. And then in the news, your mom told you that you can't swim after eating for 30 minutes, you can't run by the pool, and now no BB gun? And if you needed somebody to take out your tooth, would you trust Sam from the Brady Bunch? That and more on today's Chairside Live. Hey now, hello and welcome to episode 140 of Chairside Live. Megan, 140, the same amount of characters as you're allowed to use in Twitter. I don't do the, the tweeter. You're not? No. You seem, or is it too old for you? It's like an old person thing? You're on the like just, kick or uh No, I never really Snapchat. got into it. I just kind of, bleh, I don't know. You're a copywriter. I am. You're insulted by being it's limited like, to 140 characters. don't you characters. dare put me in a box. Exactly. Yeah. But how are you doing? You smell like... Ginger ale and cocktail peanuts. Did you just fly in? I did. I did okay. just fly in. Um, I was in uh, Minnesota and Chicago doing a couple lectures and uh, and just got back. And uh, in Chicago, I was there with my um, podcast co-host, yes. Dr. Josh Austin. He was there for some ADA meetings and I was there for a lecture. So we happened to get together and record two episodes of the podcast. It was our sleepover episode. And okay. um, so we shared a hotel room and a bed. Mm. And I got to be honest, it's been a long time since I've even just shared a hotel room with another guy. So it was a right. fun little dynamic. We recorded one podcast in the mor- in the, at nighttime <laughs> yes. and then one the next morning. And, okay. uh, and it, it, it was fun. So the Accidental Geniuses podcast will be coming live from a uh, hotel room. Wow. For next special week, edition. So. I like yep. it. And we'll we've got a in. special edition today of Chairside Live. We've got an interesting case of the week. Nike's motto is just do it. And unfortunately, some dentist's motto is kind of the same way. They say, do your best. And unfortunately, anytime a dentist tells us to do our best, it's usually you know when we've got a situation in front of us where we're kind of asking the doctor to take a, a new impression, perhaps. And we understand that some patients are very difficult to work on, um, but sometimes it comes down to other factors. So let's go ahead and take a look at that now. I was giving a lecture at uh, Loma Linda School of Dentistry out here in Southern California, and every year I get a chance to go and speak to um, the junior class, and and this was a case that I brought by that came by the lab recently. I was trying to make a point that quality in dentistry is a choice, essentially. I mean, some of us are born with great hands, and some of us are born with hands like these, which... uh, need a lot of additional uh, help, stability, tips, tricks, products, whatever it might be to try to give above average results. Because only you know 10% of the people can be in the top 10% of the class and then there's the rest of us. And I was trying to impress upon them, it was a combination of patience uh, and making a choice to do quality dentistry and not having to um, you know be able to just crank out a great prep the first time that you try it. And the other point was, as soon as you take your eye off quality and kind of start cruising, it naturally slips. It can pretty much only go down without constant input. Uh, quality never accidentally seems to drift up. You know, it always seems to go the other direction, whether it's a lab technician or whether it's a dentist. And so I showed them um, this impression. This is the impression for that case. And uh, it appears to be just essentially uh, blue moose. And, and I'm afraid that's, that's the prep. And so that's the prep tooth number 30. Tooth number 31 is missing. And if we turn it over, we can see the opposing where we're clearly biting uh, on, on the tray. And so you can't see any light through the impression because the bite is off. And it's a little tough to even tell 
where the prep was because there doesn't seem to be uh, any signs of retraction. And if we look at the, the stone model, it's um, probably what you'd expect. You know, it's, it just kind of, it drifts off. And there's places, you know, on the buckle where you can kind of get uh, an idea of what's going on, but then it just kind of disappears on the mesial and then just kind of turns to nothingness on the distolingual. And, um, you know, on the solid model, you probably get a little better look at what's going on here. And so, you know, stuff happens, as they say, in life. And it was the notes of our technical advisors that I found interesting. So the first one says, uh, margins are unclear and patient bit on the tray. Uh, suggest doctor send new impression and, and pack cord. And so that was the notes that were made uh, by the technician reading it. And so somebody called the doctor and it says, um, you know, so-and-so called the doctor. Doctor advised he will not be sending new impression, impression and to proceed with the case as it's already within the lab. And so this is one of the things where the doctor kind of says, do your best. And my response is always, um, all right, but we could have, you know, a, a little more of your, your best, you know, could have helped. And uh, so somebody called back a second time and said, this is going to be almost impossible to make. Um, and we don't think it's going to fit. And the, and the doctor actually says, it says, uh, doctor reported that he will seal the margins chair side. And um, sealing the margins chair side is a, an interesting concept. It's, uh, I guess, this is what happens when you cement a crown that has grossly open margins and maybe with flowable composite or something like that, you, you seal the margins. And so I think anybody can be excused for an impression uh, like this, although when you see, you know, an impression like this, you kind of go, uh, you know, let's do that again. Patient was biting on the tray, and that kind of sort of doesn't look like a tooth, a prep, I should say. And so maybe we, we do that again. So, and, and for all I know, this patient could be a gagger or have very limited opening or, or some other compromising uh, situation, but it would help, I think, um, inspire more confidence on our end if the doctor kind of relayed that to the technician on the RX saying, ooh, sorry about this one. This is a patient that has you know, this inability to open or stay open, or this is the best we could do. I know it's gonna be a prayer and I'll try to do what I can, share stuff. But it doesn't really say any of that. It just says proceed and, and do your best. And you know, it's kind of tough to do your best here. And the doctor's you know, attitude about it is, is sometimes what's concerning. And so we eventually made the decision not uh, to do this crown because it's hard to feel good about doing this crown, even if we say, hey, we're not gonna pay for the remake um, if it doesn't fit. But, you know, my message to them was, um, you know, this doesn't, this doesn't have to happen, cases like this, and this is just one that got that pulled out of there. And, um, you know, I don't think the doctor would've got out of dental school doing preps like this. So I think they probably used to be better. And it really is a choice. You know, it's a choice to kind of slow down and do things right or find another way to do it or if packing cords a pain invest in a diode laser to be able to trough around and, and do some kinds of things. So I, I just wanted to share this case with you because uh, um, it was one that I shared with them because I, I thought it not only showed uh, a good combination of, um, of what can happen with a sloppy impression and, and when it's poured, um, but also what happens when the attitude uh, of the doctor is just kind of, I give up, send it to me and I'll, I'll send it chair-side. It's, uh, it's a bad combination that's gonna to lead to a way less than ideal result or restoration for the patient. And in this case, we chose not to make it and not to become involved in that situation. Thank you for that, Dr. D. You're welcome.
Now let's go to a segment we call Viewer Mail. This week's viewer mail comes to us from Dr. Larry Keating, and he writes, Hi, Dr. Jatola. I have read about your reverse preparation technique for PFM preps, etc. Do you have anything similar for prepping veneers? Sincerely, Dr. Larry Keating. Well, Larry, that's actually a great question that uh, I don't think I've necessarily heard before, and certainly the same principles that you use in the reverse prep um, could apply to veneers. You would just want to use um, smaller versions of the burr. So, for example, you might just use the 0.6 millimeter depth cutter, the one typically used for uh, zirconia. Uh, and then you would use a smaller round burr. So instead of the 801021, a big round burr for the gingival margin, that's 2.1 millimeters wide. I'd go down to uh, an 801014 or an 012. So it's the same round shaped diamond, but it's much smaller and you could prepare it that way. But the reality is that most of the time when I'm looking at a, a veneer case, we're trying to do everything in a minimal prep fashion these days. And so typically what that means is we'll look at um, the patient's photograph, the occlusal shot, or we'll take the study model and look straight down on it. And we'll set an orthodontic arch wire along the cusps. And this arch wire represents kind of the ideal arch form. And then we look for everything that's laying out to the facial of that because we know we're going to have to remove some tooth structure to get that back into that ideal arch form. And then we know everything that's to the lingual of it, we're not going to have to touch or prep at all. In fact, some of those teeth might just end up being straight no prep veneers. And so on most veneer cases, what I see now is a combination of minimally prep teeth uh, and no prep teeth together. And sometimes they need a little more prep if you've got one that's really kicked out to the facial. A lot of times you'll have a rotation, you know, on a lateral incisor or maybe a central, for example, where you're prepping the mesial half of the central, but you're not touching the distal half because of the fact that uh, it's back to the lingual and we just basically need to add to structure there. So using something like the reverse prep technique for you know eight or ten veneers in a row is not actually all that useful because you're really just kind of playing a little bit more with only reducing what has to be reduced and trying to stay within enamel whenever possible. And so usually what I do is have my technician Cindy take one of the pre-op models and she preps the model for me exactly how she would like it prepped in the mouth in order to best restore this case. And when she does that, she'll take the 0.6 millimeter depth cut. So anywhere she's going to adjust the tooth on the stone model, she'll make that 0.6 millimeter depth cut, but she won't necessarily prep that down all the way. So she'll make a, one, a 0.6 millimeter depth cut and prep it and prep it. And usually she's only reducing three, maybe four tenths, sometimes two tenths uh, of a millimeter. And so uh, when she's done, she'll hand me a model where she's adjusted some of the teeth and I'll see some holes left knowing that she has got come short of 0.6 millimeters. Now I don't have a perio probe that'll read two tenths of a millimeter, but we just kind of eyeball it based on what we're seeing so we know she didn't go as deep uh, as the 0.6 millimeter depth cut. And if the depth cut is gone, I know that she went to 0.6 millimeters or a little bit past. So it's looking at the model, holding it next to the preps as you do this, and just kind of giving an indication of where she prepped it. Again, we want to stay in enamel, remove the least amount of tooth structure possible. And so it's kind of an approximation, and there really are no depths, you know, like there are uh, with posterior crowns where we say 0.6 millimeters for zirconia minimum or one millimeter minimum for Emacs. Because we're up in the anterior with veneers, with not those same kind of bite forces that we have in the posterior, we don't have to live by those rules. And so we can take a rotated tooth and take a few tenths off 
uh, the distal and have maybe two tenths of a millimeter VMAX here, and maybe it's five tenths on the distal to bring it into the ideal arch form. So it's much more creative uh, in terms of the preparation and in terms of how thick the restorations are going to be. It's not the same kind of uniform thickness that we see on a crown. So my best suggestion for you is really kind of work with um, your technician and have them prep the model for you how they would like it uh, to be prepped in the mouth, keeping in mind we want it as conservative as possible so we're still in enamel. And if they can use a depth cut or if they don't have depth cut burrs, they can always um, do like a polyvinyl putty um, pre-op matrix and then prep the teeth back and then you can put the matrix on there and see how much they prep. So that's usually the way I do it, but there's really no hard and fast rules with veneers. It's a lot more kind of seat of the pants do it on the fly than it typically is uh, for the reverse preparation when we're doing that for crowns and bridges, especially nice. in the posterior. I like it. Look what we have for him today. What is it? Well. Oh. Yep. Yep. Here we go. Those. What are you trying to convince me of? Um, I because I'm not buying it. Apparently. I was trying to sell you uh, stock in something. Some swamp land in Florida? I was trying to sell you an old zirconia mill. I wanted you to start mm. making crowns at home. Nice. Okay. But well, you weren't going for it. Nope. Doesn't look like it. But Larry, this is coming your way. Along with the reverse prep kit. Because <gasps> you asked about the reverse prep kit. Yay! He figured it out. Nice. You just have to ask about it and you shall receive. That's what we're here for. Thank you very much. Yeah. Any news? Yes. A man in Thailand recently bled to death after removing his tooth. Reports say the 64-year-old man was found dead at the door of his home. The man's niece said he hired a neighbor, the butcher, to pull his tooth. They tied a string around his tooth and a rock and then threw the rock. In severe pain, he took pain medication but did not improve. Police say the man was a heavy drinker and had several chronic diseases. The family said the man did not like going to the doctor. They are performing an autopsy and officials are questioning the butcher. Wow, he would have been better off going with the baker or the candlestick maker. Right, I, I don't think I would have, I don't think I'd choose the butcher. And what's weird is that the butcher deals with blood, you know, he, you know, chopping up animals right. and seen tissue and bone. And sure. I feel like of all the civilians you could choose, the butcher, the butcher's a pretty good one for when it's going to come to something like that. So, you know, he's cutting through bones with, I, I'm surprised he just didn't pull it the whole, tie a rock to it and then throw the rock. Did he throw it the wrong way? Did he throw it at the right? guy? Right, I don't of... know. And you know, it's interesting to me because if he's sitting there, basically bleeding out, wouldn't you think? I mean, I know that the story said that he was afraid of the doctor, or whatever, or that he didn't like going. But it's wouldn't you seek medical attention if your tooth is bleeding and it won't stop and it's just continuing to bleed profusely? Um, well, I don't know how profusely it is. I mean, even well, when... if he died. Well, I know, but you said he had a lot of chronic other diseases and things like that. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It, it could have, I'm sure there's other complicating. I don't think you can bleed out. Right. From an Doesn't extraction. it just like it eventually stops? It, well, if you, you got to put pressure on it and hopefully keep it somewhat dry. Yeah. Um, but if you've, yeah, if you're healthy enough for your, your blood to clot, it almost always does. People freak out when one little drop of blood gets in saliva and you spit it into the sink and it looks like it's a mouthful of blood, right. but it's saliva with one sure. drop of blood. But if he wasn't biting on anything um, and it stayed wet the whole time, I mean, I guess eventually you could. It's not like slitting your wrist in the bathtub, you know, where it won't clot. So hard to say, but... Yeah. And um, I guess because they were saying, obviously, he was um, taking pain medication, which contained aspirin, which is right. obviously a blood thinner. And so they were thinking that maybe that had something to do with it. Who... Who knows? But 
it's sad nonetheless, but it's just, it's a very interesting story, and I'm not sure that all the details are there, which right. is why they're investigating. And that explains why bad dentists are sometimes referred to as butchers. There you go. I still think the butcher could have done a better job, but Gosh, whatever. That butcher. <laughs> Anything <laughs> else? Yes. Police in Florida say two boys shot a BB gun at four people at a pool in an apartment complex. The pellets hit one woman in the shoulder and mouth, breaking two bottom teeth. At least three other victims were struck in their shoulders, back, and chest. Police say the boys, 12 and 16 years old, admitted to touching the BB gun, but denied pulling the trigger. The boys are from Michigan and were spending the summer with their grandma. Police say the boys returned to Michigan after officers talked to their mother. Investigators are talking with the state attorney's office and officials in Michigan to determine whether the boys will be arrested. I was going to say that's not the Florida that I know oh, right. because the boys are from Michigan, but they fell under Florida's right. spell when they yes. when they went there. I mean, who shoots a BB gun at somebody? Uh, I you know what I I know families where that happened. We weren't allowed to have BB guns for for what we weren't allowed to have sugar, you know, in our house, right. let alone BB guns. Uh-huh. Um, but I do know other um, families that had BB guns, and it, they thought it was harmless to kind of shoot it, and thought it was fun to shoot it. But they were at least shooting relatives. <laughs> I'm all right with that. This is shooting complete strangers, and that's awful. Right. And if you're shooting, even if you're shooting relatives, can't we have like a below the neck rule or right. something? Nerf or a Nerf BB gun. The thing that was so funny was uh, it reminded me of one of the lies that I told when I was a kid when they said, we touched the BB gun, but we didn't pull the trigger. We didn't do it. When, when my parents found the cigarettes that I had hit under my bed. They were your it, friends? Yeah, they were my friends. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they were my friends. And it's so predictable sometimes exactly how these lies right. are going to go. Oh, but kids still think they're going to be able to, to get away with it. Right. I'm sure they were scared and, you know, were afraid talking to the police and saw the damage that they had done and thought, well, we can't admit to it, but they're going to know that we had it. So, yeah, sure, we touched it, but we didn't shoot it. Right. Like, if you dust it for prints, you'll find them there. Right. But, but not the, don't even bother doing the trigger because you, <laughs> won't, you won't find them there. That, that is clean as a whistle. I can guarantee right. you of that. Um, the lady got hit in the teeth. Mm-hmm. If they were aiming for that, that's impressive. Because I don't know if you've ever seen, like, the aiming device on a BB gun. It's, no. it's awful. Right. It's I mean, I like, she must have been smiling or happy because she was at the pool in the summertime right. because they, you know, got her bottom teeth. But, yeah, ouch. I know. Well, it's, it's, it's actually, as bad of a story it is, it's, um, you know, at least in today's day and age, you know, with all the shootings that we actually have, yeah. it, it almost seems innocent. Right. You know, it's kind of like, oh, how cute. Right. They didn't have an actual gun. It was only a BB gun. And that's... Right. But you think if they were at the sad. pool that they would have like a crazy super soaker water gun, a BB gun? Well, they had, yeah, it's like a super soaker, but instead of water... It's blood. It's, no, it's aluminum. Oh, it's aluminum. Alu- or ble- or okay. whatever it is, sure. some metal. I don't know. I'm not a gun guy. Neither am I. I just... Can't say they kind of scare me. Fired him a couple times, but... I don't know. Just not the end. I prefer to defend myself the old-fashioned way. My hands. <laughs> Vicious. So painful. Well, that about wraps it up for this edition of Chairside Live. On behalf of myself, Megan, the whole CSL crew, and everybody here at the lab, I want to thank you for your time and your continued commitment to quality dentistry. We'll see you next time. And then your mom told you, you can't eat, you can eat. Try it again. Oh, is there? You're talking to me or him? How dare you? Mine. Ear hair. Do you have any? Nope.
No reservations. <laughs> that made me think because there's any of a show called that. Parts unknown. Okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Hiya. Brought to you by High Karate. I prefer to defend myself the old-fashioned way. My hands. <laughs>